This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery just like Leicester City this season. So the only thing left to say is, you win, order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Everybody, Jerry Taggart here. Now be sure to watch Chris and Lester Till I Die TV by subscribing on YouTube and following them on social media for all the latest Leicester City news and information. Come on, you foxes! everybody it's tuesday which can only mean one thing unless i've had too much to drink it's the tuesday night show how are you doing and just to prove that you can be in two places at once you can now watch us live if you are subscribing or watching us on youtube and our youtube channel is lester till i die tv which is that way or obviously on facebook if you are watching us on facebook uh, live on facebook that way lester till i die can I just say, if you are watching on Facebook, feel free to comment. We want your comments. We want your questions to come in tonight. Um, if you are using StreamYard, which you will be doing, if you're not registered with them, it will just you will just come up as Facebook user. And it's always nice to give people a shout out. So register. It's There's no joining fee. There's nothing to download. It's free of charge. You literally just register and then your name and Facebook profile comes up and we can give you a shout out. 
So uh, please, please do that. Uh, or if not, stick your name at the end. You know, just uh, end it with Rob, Chris, Paul, whatever at the end. Obviously, only if you called Rob, Chris, or Paul. Um, anyway, hey, how are you doing? It's top of the league, top of the Europa League. It's great times for us. I mean, since sort of, well, those, shall we call them for politeness, newer fans, since they've joined us, of course, we have been doing great. But likes of me and with all respect, uh, Craig, those of us that have been around the block a few times will remember the Leicester City of old. And it's been a roller coaster ride following Leicester City, up and down more times than a bride's night on a wedding night, I'll tell you. But I can say at the moment, it's great times. Do you remember the 90s? This guy does, um, Barry Pierpoint, and he was chief executive for Leicester City during the 90s. Now, do you remember the 90s? Well, if you want to know about the 90s, on the 7th of December, he's bringing out his book. I love the title, Minding My Own Football Business, and it's got contributions from 40-odd people associated with the club, including Emil Heskey, Simon Grayson, and Tony Cotty. And uh, the foreword is by, by his own admission, his favourite player from his time at Leicester, Steve Walsh. Having said that, I wouldn't like to go up to Steve and say that he wasn't my favourite player. But uh, let's bring Barry in and say a very good evening, Barry. Hello there. Good evening to you. Welcome. How the devil are you? Oh, well, I'm, uh, I'm fine. I'm very well fine. In these, in these challenging times and conditions, I'm very well, thank you. I think if we can say we're all right, that's uh, as good as uh, we can hope at the moment. Um, Matthew's saying, evening, Chris, from Glasgow tonight. I don't know what you're doing in Glasgow. You uh, must have been a naughty boy to have been sent there. But uh, nice to have you on board, Matthew. And hi, Chris, hope you're okay. Like I say, it's Facebook user, so I can't give you a call out. Um, oh, we've got the bronze plumber. Good evening, Bronze Plumber on YouTube. Nice to have you along. Um, and I don't know if I am. Somebody's saying I'm muffled. I don't know if I'm coming across muffled to you at all, Barry, or can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. I think it might be better if it's a little bit slightly sharper. I think I think it's a little bit... No, it's okay, but it's... Uh, yeah. I think I think it's the fact that I'm uh, of where I'm sat and uh, just trying to get somewhere. Either the, the, the sound gives a little bit of a light. I can't have both. No, you're and, not in the <laughs> almost <laughs> almost <laughs> just about in my kitchen in my uh in my kitchen but like i say you were cities um and um, you do obviously go over this in, in the book but um you were the big part of leicester city in the 1990s you were our first chief executive although you didn't join the, the club as the chief executive how did you come to be working for leicester at all how did that come about well, the club wanted to find a, a director of marketing, basically, to come in and start raising some finance um, for the club off the field. Uh, basically, somebody with a business brain, somebody with a marketing, um, uh, you know, a skilled marketing uh, person who could come in and develop the commercial opportunities, as well as look at other opportunities for sponsorships. And the main thrust was to build a new stand, a new stand replace the, the member stand which was just about falling to bits in the 90s <laughs> oh yes um and then obviously you you made your way up to the uh, to chief executive well the, the funny thing is when i first went to the club i mean there was very little marketing at all i don't think half the directors knew what marketing meant and um 
it took a long time for me to get there because it took six months and about four interviews later I got there and I got there by mistake. Uh, but that's another story. And I won't go into too much detail because the book explains how I arrived there. Um, but what the, 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 the job for me to do was to raise five and a half million pounds for a new stand and to develop the commercial opportunities, which really weren't really developed when I went there. As a matter of fact, they were non-existent. Um, and also to get more involved with the community and put Leicester City on the map. Um, because when I first joined there, a lot of people in Leicester uh, thought the club was not really a very friendly club, nor, nor was it a club that was going anywhere. And I had to convince them with my vision and with my sort of thoughts and uh, objectives that Leicester City Club is a club for going places it took time to, to prove that but eventually it did because of all the successes i had with the team around me you know together we, we were very successful i mean it was sort of the latter half of the year and i know this is nick craig will come on to when he joins us in a minute it was a very successful end to the 1990s but you said the the big thing for you at the start was the, the carving stand which uh, i always remember martin o'neill used to say he used to introduce players by bringing them out backwards onto the pitch so that they could see see the carling stand. I mean, it was, it, it actually made the rest of the ground look worse than it probably was, but it was an amazing sculpture. And you raised the money, obviously. Well, it was raised by a whole range of means. And again, um, you know, it was through grants and it was through companies giving us money for boxes up front, it was through debenture systems, it was through vice presidents putting large sums of money in, it was for sponsorship through breweries who paid for the name of the stand and, and, and yeah. pouring rights of all the drinks in the stadium. A lot of different ways of doing it, but it was a very hard job trying to convince people to part with money. It was a football club that, um, you know, really hadn't been doing much and it wasn't until Brian Little came on the scene a couple of months after I started that Brian and I worked very close together. And that's how things started to develop. He took the, the playing side and really took them to, you know, to the top. And I went with all the commercial side and the business side. And with my team, we managed to start making things happen as well. I mean, it's quite funny when you think about a football club and how huge the commercial side of any club is these days to, like you say, it was almost like an afterthought back in back in the day. It was very hard in those days because, mm. um, you know, today in football, you know, most clubs have got uh, quite a lot of income coming through in different ways and means. When I went to Leicester, there was nothing there at all. Uh, the money that you received was very small. Um, the income was very small. Um, the commercial opportunities hadn't been exploited, which is one of the things I did. Um, mm. and, and basically, uh, you know, we had to raise money to pay uh, to make the club more successful and also help to buy some players because the profitability that we created on the commercial side was the, uh, the way of putting money into the pot so that yes. uh, people like Brian, who was very uh, very careful with his spending. I mean, Brian bought a player for 50 grand and I asked for a 50,000 pound marketing budget and they looked, the board looked to be gone out and somebody said around the table, uh, Oi, we can buy a player for 50 grand. I said, you know, I want 50 grand. It's going to last me for the next four or five years. And it'll probably raise quite a few million, which it did. Yes, you know? yeah. I think, unfortunately, I think at that time, as well, we, were, we were always known almost as a selling club, weren't we, as well? Right? You know, we, we'd, we'd get the players in. But Brian Little, he really, to my sort of memory, he was the one, and we'd had little bits of success before then, but he was the one, to me, just before Martin, that sort of, 
got, I mean, you know, it was a successful period with him. You know, we were having, it was almost like a, a, a yearly day out at Wembley for the playoffs under Martin uh, under uh, Brian Little. I think, I mean, I've got to put my hat off to Brian Little. He's achieved so much and so little, and that's not a pun, because Brian didn't spend a lot of money, and he brought in players that nobody had ever heard of before, who actually put the heart and soul into the job and played for the club. It wasn't about the money for them, it was about the playing and the getting the results and working together as a team. And I have yeah. to uh, I have to say, I was very um, enamoured by Brian and the way he motivated people and got the best out of them. And the small amount of spending he did. And look what we did with Brian. We went to Wembley a few times um, and, you know, he really did miracles. And I think that's uh, a testament to, to the management style he had. Yeah, I, I always think he's a very, very underrated manager. And sort of when you go back and look at sort of, certainly for me, you know, past managers and who's your favourite manager, you know, he should be up there, um, you know, but like you say, for, for what for what he achieved for us, you know, but uh, it wasn't to be. And I've got to be honest with you, I mean, he did leave under a little bit of a cloud. And I suppose it's easy for me to say now, but to me, a bit like when Martin went to Celtic, it's almost like, Villa was his club, and I, it, it didn't seem to sort of be handled very well. I don't know, on, on any side, you know, there's that sort of, he was going, you know, he's not going to work, and then he signed immediately for them, and lies and all that. But, you know, was, was it bad feeling when he left? Well, people got to realise, and I, I think the problem with some fans, they don't know the full story, and yeah. you, only, you only hear what the press want to tell you and how they slanted position. And that's the problem I had with the press. All, all the way down the line. Um, yeah. They're very good at positioning things. But Brian, listen, any manager who is approached to take on a bigger role and a bigger job somewhere else and feels that perhaps he's done what he can do with the sort of amount of funds he's got to play with, yeah. it would be silly not to go and join another club. And as much as they want to stay there for life, nobody's staying anywhere for life. And no. opportunities come and they have to take them. I was poached three times to go and work for three different clubs while I was at Leicester City, but I didn't take that chance. I decided mm. to stay with the club uh, right to the very end. You know? Yeah, we have we have to. You know, we we do tend to follow our clubs with uh, blue tinted spectacles on for Leicester and forget <laughs> that these these you know we're all fans. These managers aren't fans, and they they really don't have a lot of connection with the club other than the fact that we're giving them a lot of money to, to try and get us no. to win things you know but they, what they do do is while they're there at that club like i did at the club i worked for they put their heart and soul into it and they give you everything and they make sure that you know everything is focused on developing that club and making sure that you know the club benefits from all their expertise knowledge skills and whatever you want to call it and yeah. every manager does that but in life people have opportunities to do something else and you know, Brian went to a bigger club, and you know, you know. Let's face it, it was sad to see him go. It was sad to see him go. But at the end of the day, career opportunities, you know, you take them when you can. Yeah. And there's coming another question here that I, um, I think that well, I, I know that I know who I would say because I, that is the the guy that then followed um, Brian Little and the guy that fueled my hatred of Wolverhampton Wanderers with the quote, I'm going to a bigger club, and that was uh, Mark McGee. Was it? Was he the worst one for you? No, I haven't got a worse manager, and I'm sorry to say that every manager I've worked with um, are, are all different in the way they approach yeah. things. Um, 
you know, they're all different people, they've, they've all worked differently. And my job is not to not have worse people than good people, it's to work with everybody that I can and yeah. work to the best ability. Some managers receive you better than others. And, you know, I'm not in saying who's good, bad or indifferent. I enjoyed working with all of them, some better than others, because yeah. other, others didn't all necessarily want to work with me as, as others did. So, but look, I, I've got a problem with that. There's no worse manager in my, in my view. He, well, he wasn't with us for long, um, with, with Mark. And, and again, it's funny because, and it was only pointed out to me, and like I say, you don't always think of these things at the time, but I was fuming that Mark McGee had walked out on us to go to Wolverhampton Wanderers. But of course, he'd left Reading to come to us. So he'd done exactly, you know, managers usually are in a job when we like with Brendan Rogers now, you know, they are in a job when we go and get them. But Mark, Mark came again. He was very dedicated to the cause. Um, unfortunately, he didn't stay very long. I know that, but an opportunity came along. But a club that probably is equal to our size, but had a lot more money to spend and do more things. Um, I think it's. He went to Wolverhampton Wanderers, and I, I actually worked very hard and closely with him to try and get him to stay. Um, and I was on holiday at the time. I had to come back from uh, from, from abroad sort of help Mark leave the club because he wanted to go. When somebody yeah. made the mind up to want to go, you've got to accept that and you've got to move on. And, yeah. you know, again, I got on, got on exceptionally well with Mark. He was a great guy to work with, very accommodating like Brian. And at the end of the day, if they have an opportunity to go to a bigger club, more money, more money to spend on players and do more things, then listen, it's about career moves. It's about, yeah. you know, going and taking on the next challenge. And that's what Mark did. Yeah. yeah, and let's say I think these days when you look at what happened with Brendan Rogers when he came here, we, we, we're just the same as it is always like a, you always feel as a fan that it's your team that's getting getting picked on. But uh, we mentioned we mentioned your book and um, it's uh, Minding My Own Football Business. It's coming out on let's say the seventh of December. Uh, where's it going to be available, Barry? Well, we've got our own website, a book website called, called that, Minding My Own Football Business is one. Right. You can also get it on eBay and Amazon. And we're just negotiating with the distributor to put it in the shops, um, in the, you know, in local shops. And hopefully it might be in some retailers as well. Um, but people can get hold of a copy quite easily. And they can go on the website, the book website, and just go on there. Or they can even contact me and I, I can help them if they don't want to go on websites and do online shopping. I can help them. They can come and speak to me, or they can drop me an email. I've got a problem. We look, you know, at the end of the day, it's a very interesting book. It's a lot of uh, stories in there from different people, different players, managers, directors. It's it's fascinating. Even I've learned something about the football club I worked in for nearly <laughs> nine years from listening yeah. to all the things that I've read. And sorry, all the things I read, and it's quite quite interesting book. Yeah. Well, I must admit, like I said, we have a little chat before we, we went live. I've got four kids and it's on my it's on my Christmas list. And I've, you know, if I don't, if one of them's got to get it, me surely. And if not, they're out the world. Yes, but only because I've seen on the publicity, the two questions, and like I say, I will read these when I get the book, is we find out what Pontus Carmock said to Janino in the League Cup final. But even more so, which Leicester City player weighed a loaded gun with his teammates? 
<laughs> if I told you those answers, it's no news by the books. And I'm oh, exactly, to... exactly. I was going to say, that's why I want to buy the book, if only for those two questions. But well, there's a lot, of other questions. Read as well. a lot of other questions in the book that you can read about what other people said and did and, and whatever. And, you know, let me say this. The book is not just for people who are in the who were there in the 90s. It's for people who aren't even born because they will learn a lot about their club that yeah. they didn't know at the time because today it's a different scenario it's a different organization it's a bigger club and um you know it, it's it's marvelous what what's happened since the new owners took over but in yeah. our time we didn't have that situation we didn't have that sort of money that support that backing and yeah. you'll learn a lot about how things happened and yeah. today how some of those things have carried on i think we left a legacy in after the 90s for people to build on that and you've got a lovely club today. I mean, I, I love Leicester City today. As you yeah. said, it's a lovely club. And what yeah. they've done with it is incredible. And there's yeah. so much investment gone into it. And, uh, you know, the new owners there really do have made a mark. We didn't have think, that opportunity, you know. But I, I think anyway. we have the owners that every other fan wished their club had, you know. But uh, Matthew just said, then, Harry, you're a brilliant diplomat. And uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I will agree I with you on that the diplomat it's what it's about being sensible i mean i i've got no qualms about my time at leicester even though it came to a, a terrible end for me and it wasn't because of what i did wrong or what i was no good at my job it's just unfortunately that uh, i was misrepresented in the media and i think uh, people didn't know full stories um and that books cover some of those issues um not i'm not going to knock anybody i'm not here to knock anybody my book doesn't knock anybody it's about being honest it's about making sure everybody understands if they want to know what happened to me and why i, I left along with three other directors then it's all in that book and it's very straightforward and as i say i have no qualms i have no problems and i don't really have any issues with anybody i enjoyed my time there i just think sometimes the media can actually uh, put across the wrong information and people yeah. only only vote with their hands if they see the things that they see and that's what they think they're being told and that's what happens yeah, yeah oh i agree somebody there has very kindly put the uh, website up where they, they can get it but uh, enough for me i'm going to bring my colleague now who's good probably going to uh, maybe ask you a few of those uh, points that you raised then so i'm going to bring <laughs> yeah, yeah the elephant in the room it's been there for a while and i think uh, <laughs> And I'm not saying talking with elephants we're going to bring Craig in. That's just how it works out. But uh, I know Craig's got some questions. Good evening, Craig. Hi, Chris. Hi, Barry. Yeah, I've just been uh, I've just been sitting here in the Leicester till I die freezer, waiting to be taken out. Now uh, everything's uh, thawed out. Um, some really interesting things that you've already said, Barry. And uh, I think from a fan's point of view, I think this is going to be a great book because, as you say. You usually only get the view um, that is presented by the media, whatever media channel you, you want to subscribe to. And I guess there's a lot of people who would say the same thing uh, going on in the USA with, um, with the election. You know, it depends what media channel, what story you actually get. Um, but it, it's nice to actually uh, have a viewpoint from within the club. Um, as I say, at the, at the time, uh, reporting was... Um, not 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 the greatest i remember being at many matches where and then reading bill anderson's report in the uh, in the mercury and wondering which match he'd been to because they were they were very different but 
going on to the obviously the the uh, the dreaded gang of four as you were all um, nicknamed I, I i feel like i'm i'm doing the bad cop when chris was the good cop here just just a couple of things on on it um what what was the, the the basic thing that that caused the rift without going into too much detail obviously because you you know that will be in the book but i read somewhere there was something to do with a, a transfer of emil heskey and not the proper um, due diligence in terms of speaking to all the board whether that was a red herring or whether there was some deeper sort of uh, divisions within it that, that that brought it down to creating two factions within the club the problem has been all along is that the club had one or two people directors who were never happy unless they were causing trouble and being disruptive and you know i'm not going to name those people but they know where they are because they they're the ones that caused a lot of the problems they in turn then got other members of the staff um, people to do things behind the scenes and create disruption uh, create problems divides you know, conquer and divide sort of situations. This was all going on for years and years. So it's not something new. Um, mm. But over a period of time, um, the two managers I worked with initially, which was Brian and Mark, they didn't get involved in any sort of boardroom politics. And that's probably what I can call it, boardroom politics, where when people don't agree with, they should keep it in the boardroom and not go out into the public domain and start saying all the wrong things, nor using staff and management in the club to create problems behind people's backs, mainly myself, may I say, and one or two of the other directors. The Gang of Four was never a Gang of Four. It was um, a media term because four people were left in a boardroom when two people decided to resign over an issue that I will talk to you about in a minute, and then one of the directors decided he wasn't very well, so left the meeting. This was a proper board meeting um, where all directors were not happy the way that the club was being run, slightly by one particular director who thought he was running his own business and didn't, conf didn't confer with anybody. Things just sort of happened and other directors found out by mistake or by gossip or whatever. And, you know, I'm being quite honest about it. I mean, I, I was the CEO charged with running a PLC business, which had to have corporate governance and which had to be run properly and professionally because we had shareholders to um you know be accountable to and when you've got one or two people doing their own thing and not doing things properly it creates problems and over a period of time three a couple of directors got very unhappy about the situation and we did find out that there was some conversation about selling a player and uh, that deal would all, already sort of been done without anybody knowing about it and that created ruptures in that boardroom on that particular day, there was going to be a vote of no confidence to remove a particular director. But unfortunately, um, things got out of hand where it was very heated. And a couple of the directors, the chairman there, the football chairman and the PLC chairman, decided to resign. And they did resign and left us with four of us in a room when, when the finance director decided he, he didn't want to carry on in the meeting. Not too well. We had to carry on. Listen, as a CEO, I have got the responsibility to run a business, and football is a, is a business, whether you like it or not. It's a sport, it's a football club, but when we were a PLC, we were accountable to the, to the stock market, and we're accountable to shareholders. And I had to act responsible. And we had to carry on that meeting, a board meeting, and 
They definitely resigned, and so therefore we decided to appoint a new chairman for the time being. We contacted those people who left the meeting to get round a table to sort this problem out because we didn't want it to go public. But no, they decided they want to take it public and create a problem. And that's how it all started. But they had been leading up to that quite a lot of problems where some of the directors were not happy. Hence, that's why the Gang of Four was, was a term that was created by the media to sell newspapers and to give yeah. everybody a chance to have a go at Barry Fairpoint and the other three guys who were really the good guys trying to run a business and look after the club in a popable and sensible way. We never went to the media. It was the people who walked out that went to the media. I think one of the, one of the things... So, sorry, Chris, just, just quick... Obviously, this was a, a, a proper board meeting, meeting as you said, with all the, the directors there. Um, was anybody responsible for taking minutes? And sure, surely, if so, do they exist? I've still got them. I've still got the minutes at home. I've, yeah, I've got with minutes. I've kept everything. I, I've kept I've copies of everything. I have the minutes, yeah. And there were minutes kept. Yeah, there were. There were because obviously, the, 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 obviously, sorry, Barry, the, the obvious. Obviously, the, the thing that came out afterwards was the, the, the guys denying that they actually resigned. Um, but you're adamant that they actually did. Well, I was in the room with, with all the other people in there, and the other three directors, along with myself, all heard what was said, and they resigned. Mm. Um, and mm. that's simple as that. Now, you can either resign verbally or you can resign in writing. Um, and those guys resigned verbally. And we had to do something mm -hmm. about that meeting. We hadn't got a chairman to carry on the meeting. So therefore, we had, we had to uh, find a new chairman at that point in time. I mean, what we tried to do was get people around a table to discuss all this and get it sorted out without going public. It shouldn't go public. It was no need mm -hmm. to go public. But unfortunately, um, one or two people, this was an opportunity to create a, a massive problem and, and cause mayhem in the club. And that's what happened. And they incited... Uh, issues of people with banners and things like that, as you can remember, <laughs> with my name yeah. all over it. <laughs> I do. I didn't have one, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I was very famous. Um, <laughs> yeah, and luckily everybody <laughs> spelt your name right, so that's a good thing. Um, what I would say is, obviously, there was uh, it was made a big thing uh, at the time of Martin coming down on one particular side. Now, whether he he was coerced into that, whether that was his, it was his own choice. Do you think that the perception of the four of you and the outcome would have been very different if Martin had have come down on the other side? Because obviously, you know, that as soon as he chose a side, it was very difficult for the other side to actually wield any power once the fans picked a side. Right. The problem is that when I first met Martin, um, like the other two managers on there, I introduced myself and I always said to the managers, I'm here to help you, support you, and um, you know that's my role. And the other managers took me in with open arms and worked with me and very closely. And we were very, you know, got on very well together. But Martin had a different attitude. And his attitude was he didn't want to know, want to know me and nothing to do with, you know, nothing to do with me. So I found that quite strange because the guy never knew me, hadn't met me before and didn't know of me. Only what I believe, in my personal view, is other people got to him before he got to the club and told him all about me and painted a very black picture. 
Um, and that's all I can assume that went off because I had never met Martin O'Neill and I'd never met Mark McGee or never met Brian Little before, but I, I went to introduce myself to those two and they took, you know, they took to me very well. And in the book, they, they speak about me, which is quite kind of them. At Martin, I had a different attitude, but I, I still went out my way to try and be friendly with Martin and talk to him and help him and support him, which I did. Because there was, you know, if you can remember in the early days, Martin wasn't having very much success on the pitch in the first few matches and everybody was calling for his head. Remember? Yeah. I went into the car park to, uh, to calm everybody down with one or two other directors to say, look, give the guy a chance. I mean, he's a great manager, uh, a lovely guy. Um, I just think he was fed some real poor information about me and I think he got the wrong impression of me. But, you know, if we had worked together, we would have been a very powerful force of it really would have been a powerful force because I was very successful off the pitch and he was very successful on it. And together we would have made a fantastic duo in turning that club and taking it even further. But it wasn't to be because the powers that be behind the scenes wanted to keep us apart and make sure that we didn't speak or we didn't get on or whatever they wanted to do. And a lot of this was contrived behind my back in the club and that's why things started to go wrong towards the end. I mean, I think I had eight years there of success and four years of um, problems, not caused by myself, but caused by other people who wanted to see the back of me and other directors. That's the problem that we had to face. Um, yes, Martin took the side of the chairman that he worked closely with, and fine, I, uh, that's his, his, his shout. It's a shame that he never sat down and got to know me. It's a shame they didn't understand me. It's a shame that he got the wrong impression of me because I think he, if he had, he might have thought differently at the time. Well, one of the things that was going on at the time, Barry, I would imagine, um, was talk behind the scenes of the, the formation of the Premier League. Were you and, and the club involved in that? And that did that have any relevance in terms of people wanting to wield power or, or carry, keep power? As, as the game moved into a new uh, a new, new world? Well, the Premier League, we weren't involved in initial formation of the Premier League because we weren't in the Premier League at the time. I think we were, mm. I think we were in Division 2. And uh, the, the people in mm. Division 1 at the time were the ones talking about the Premier League and the formation of it. So I don't think we got involved at that point. We got involved when we got promoted. But let me say this. The problem has been that this disruptive element in the club were always saying making statements behind my back that I wanted to get control of the football team and run it. Well, listen, I have no ambition of being a football manager because I'm not. I'm a business guy. And when you've got professional managers there, like you've got Mark McGee and Brian Little, and in particular um, Martin O'Neill, what, what am I going to do but get in the way and be, interfere? Well, I didn't want to get in the way. I didn't want to interfere. I was quite happy doing what I was doing. Um, and this is why I felt... It's, you know, it all went particularly wrong because that guy really um, was a great guy and he did a lot for the club, but he didn't really understand me. And I think that's the problem. That, that, that was the wage that was driven between us because, um, you know, people kept saying that I was going to stick my nose in and take over and run, run the football team. I wasn't. Never there was a... Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you, you, you have a love of football. Uh, obviously, marketing... Is your, is your main thing the same i'm a marketing guy as well but you have a love of football 
uh, and you then went on to to Portsmouth. And I know there were reports uh, a few years ago of you wanting to get involved in, um, dare I say, forest. Was that uh, was that true? Well, when I when I left, I mean, when I was at Leicester, I had three approaches from Derby County to go to the baseball ground and help to build a new stadium for them. I turned that down. When I was there, later on, I was asked to go to Coventry to help them build a new stadium for that. I turned that down. Um, and then I was approached by Luton to go there and do something for them, and I turned that down. My loyalty was with Leicester City. Now, I had a job to do, and I wanted to see a new stadium being built before I decided to move on. Because after about 10 years, you know, you need to do something different, have new challenges. Um, and I wanted to do a 40,000-seater stadium, but I didn't get time to do that. Um, when I left in 2000, um, I had four or five clubs approach me. I was going to work for Bristol City Football Club initially. And then, of course, Milan Mandrick, who used to own Leicester, contacted me mm -hmm. and asked me to go to Portsmouth. Um, and um, I went there. So I was there for about a year, a year's contract. Um, different club altogether. Was received with open arms by the fans. A bit nervous, thinking what you know, how they're going to receive me. But... You know, I had a year there, nearly, and the back of the paper when I left was, or about to leave, was don't let Pierpoint go, which is quite strange to what I had when <laughs> going out to Leicester, like, get rid of Pierpoint. But when I was at Portsmouth, I've got the copy, and it's in the book as well. It's in mm -hmm. the book, and it talks about don't letting me go, you know, the Portsmouth fans are saying in that book at the end there, don't let Pierpoint go, uh, because they wanted me to stay there, which I thought was quite nice, really. I enjoyed my time yeah. there, but it's um, it wasn't to be. Um, and then, I, of course, within seconds, I leave him there. I was at Bradford, you know. Yeah. Everybody wanted So, what was, yeah. So, so was the truth, uh, was there any truth in, in you getting involved in Forest yeah, about 2016, well, I think it was? I was trying to avoid that question because the, the <laughs> club, actually, I was born in Nottingham, which is interesting. And there was lots of uh, rumours flying around, lots of people printing things in the media, which is they're very good at that sort of thing, the media are. Um, and yes, I was asked by the previous owner to send my CV in um, about um, going to Forest, um, which I did. And at the same time, Notch County also asked me to send my CV in as well, because I've been to see them twice after I left Leicester. Um, because I'm not even say it was my home, I was born there, my hometown. Um, but they messed me about so much that I decided that if that's what they're going to do to me while I wasn't working there, what would they do when I got there? <laughs> so I decided not to bother. Um, you know, I, I, I could pick and choose. I was I was in demand. So, you know, my attitude was, yeah. you know, it's a shame because I think I could have done a lot there as well. Would you? Would you? Usually, you get that. Uh, you, you get asked this if you're a manager or a player. Do you want to get back into football, Barry? Well, I, you know, I've been out of it for about fifteen years, I think, ten, fifteen years. Although I do follow it, and I've still got all my uh, all my faculties and skills. And um, you know, I think if the right challenge came along, I would look at it very seriously. Um, because one thing I like doing is turning football clubs around, especially the ones that are struggling and the ones that have got no money mm -hmm. and the ones that where I can make a difference. And that's what I enjoy doing. I enjoy developing the off-the-field activities. I certainly like getting involved with the community. I mean, building the Carlingstone was the biggest challenge for me. 
And then leaving the club with an eight million pound commercial turnover when I went there it was about half a million quid. Mm. Um, so eight million is a lot of money uh, in eight years to, to raise. And um, yeah, it is. You know, taking the club uh, along with the with the team into the Premiership and all the other things that we did. We, we did obviously, Pop's Leisure was a, a new innovation that not many people were doing that sort of thing. Well, there weren't none of them doing that sort of thing when I started at Leicester City and all the other things that we created. It was a big money-making machine to put money into the football club to buy more players. Yes, I would take on the challenge if anybody came along well, and wanted to take my lovely services. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I think there's, uh, there's quite a lot of clubs uh, lower down the pyramid who are, are going to be struggling um, know, due to the, the, the state of COVID. Uh, so maybe, maybe you may get a maybe you may get a few calls, Barry. Listen, I'll help anybody. I, I, I'm one of these guys who's very transparent, very honest, and very open, and I will help anybody, and I'll do anything to help anybody. And, you know, I mean, I stood in the middle of the, of the, of the car park when we were selling tickets through the night, and it was my idea to sell tickets through the night for Wembley. Can you remember when we were in the car park? People walking around, doing <laughs> it yeah. I got all the staff in, I got them out of bed, got them all in. Uh, I had cups of tea made for mm -hmm. people and drinks, and people used to come up to me and say, Barry, thank you very much. I mean, they were the better times. As I said, I had eight years of good good times with people who understood me. And even in the book, people are commenting about me in the book, which is nothing to do with me because I, I spoke to nobody. Uh, Matthew Mann, the guy who wrote the book for me, the, the um, ghostwriter, researcher, he talked to everybody. And it's not, I'm only telling you my story in there, never mind anything else. Um, so, yeah. I would do it, yeah. No, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a great, I'm sure it's a great, great read, Barry, and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. It is. This guy, Andy Meadows, has said, what would you say is your best moment at Leicester? <laughs> I think Premiership was one, and building a Carling Stand two, and um, making a lot of money for the football club three, because I left them with about £3 million in the pot, and two years later they went bust for about £30 million, I think, something like that. It was sad. It was sad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could just I could just sit and listen to this all night. I really could. It's um well, I can tell you I stories get, about, I can tell you stories all night about what happened, but some of them are not not uh, trans <laughs> not able to tell on the screen. <laughs> I, I I haven't got a good lawyer. I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you very much, Dave. Uh, I, I think I think football. We've, we've said this often, me and Craig, haven't we? Football is the lang is the universal language. You know, you can be in the middle of nowhere, as I was, up in North Norway, two miles inland, past the Arctic Circle, and I had a Leicester scarf, and somebody was shouting at me. And if you talk in Leicester, that's it. I think you know we, we can be there for hours. But um, thanks, thanks so much uh, for joining us. And let's just remind everybody. Um, I'll just bring it up again here, if I can. Uh, if I can find it here. Uh, the book is um, Minding My Own Football Business. Uh, I really do love that, that title. Um, it's going to be available from the 7th of December. You can pre-order it now. Uh, Amazon, if that's your choice, or if you're looking across the bottom of the screen there, you can see the, the website um, where you can go on and order it direct. And am I right, Barry, do you do signed copies? Listen, if anybody wants me to sign a copy and put a message in there, I will do it willingly, and I'm, I am prepared to. It'll be a one-off. It'll never happen again. It'll be 
it's something that happened, you know, in the 90s, which is never going to be repeated again. And I think it will um, be worth a lot of money in years to come. <clears throat> but yeah. I will put a message on and I will, I will sign it. Uh, and I'm happy to do that. I'm hoping in December, I'm trying to get some places to do some personal, personal, um, you know, signings in front of, you know, particular people. But with the COVID situation, I've got to find, um, you know, if it's possible to do that. Because I'd love to meet people face to face. And I'd love to sign the book in front of them and uh, put the message in front of them. But at, at the moment, it's proving very difficult to uh, get venues that will let you do that when we're bringing people, you know. But I'm going to try and I'll keep it, you posted. Yeah, but in the meantime, yeah, yeah. You can order it online or order it anywhere. Or I can give you my email address if you want me to. Yeah, if you want to message me that on Facebook and I can add that into the description on uh, okay. when it goes it'll be on YouTube straight away and I'll go on and I'll do a bit of editing and I'll uh, I'll add the email there that people can contact you direct to order it. Uh, I think the, the thing that stood out for me tonight is I think you all you get a precept reception of people and, and you know without actually talking to them you see what as we said you see what's in the paper you see what's on the internet and you think yeah that's what that guy's like and i'm just having a look here because somebody said earlier and i did bring it up uh, earlier um saying yes one of them said you were a brilliant diplomat um where was it now uh there we go um and i think this kind of sums it up you're you're much different you're much different to what i expected barry and i think um i think i'm really I think, pleased tonight because you haven't been the sorry craig yeah carry on i was gonna say i think that may be from martin o'neill <laughs> i hope so <laughs> <laughs> well that's very good I've only given a page of the picture by what the media paints, and that's because people read what they read and what the media tell them to read, and that's the problem with life. If people met me in real life, I'm quite a different character. I'm very jovial, very honest, very open, very funny, very humorous, and I tell you what, I'll help anybody do anything. I really do, and I always have done. That's been my philosophy. Well, I think it's been great having you, and thank you so much for coming on, and Barry also... Uh, if you want to catch up with a bit more about Barry, if you go to the website, lesterhilladie.com, and look for the page Favourite Things, we have Barry's uh, five favourite things, where, uh, like I say, one of which was Steve Walsh was his, uh, his favourite player. Um, but like I say, you wouldn't, you wouldn't argue with Steve, would you, Barry? No, Steve and I got on very well. I mean, he's a great guy. Um, you know, we worked together very well. I appreciated him and he appreciated me and we you know we we, we were fine and, and he's a great guy and he's a great diplomat for the for the club as well and uh, you know i enjoyed him and quite a lot of the other players as well they were, they were, they were good guys great to work with them privileged to work with them as well right well um oops, just i think we've got one more comment here everything's going uh or oh, the drums plumber um which I presume is a problem. <laughs> Thanks, Barry and the guys. Thanks so much for uh, for watching. But uh, stay safe. Like I say, get let no I'll put my teeth in. Let me have that email address, Barry, and I'll add that into the description afterwards. Uh, I think you're going to have two requests for signed books uh, from, from us two here. Craig, as always, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks very much, Craig. Even if you you did think you're the bad cop, but you were very very diplomatic. 
Listen, I, I was very honest and open, and I, I was happy to be honest and open. And nothing phases me at all. I'm very, very, uh, very easy going. Brilliant. Appreciate that. Thanks, Barry. Yeah. 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 Nice to talk Thank to you guys. Much. Nice to talk to everybody else. And uh, I'm here to help. Perhaps you'll invite me back in a few months' time later on next year, and I'm bit more for you all right we'd, we'd love we'd love to have you back uh and then i can ask you more about your book because i would have read it then yeah i hope so i've only got one that's a leicester fan two of the girls they're more into boys at the moment and the third one i'm just not into sports but uh, <laughs> my oldest he was always going to be a football fan and i think craig will back me up on this you have your eldest, always a football fan, and it's always left the city. That's good. <laughs> but yeah, you'll be more than welcome back anytime. Um, um, oh, here we go. This is Andy. He goes, uh, wish Walsh never said that about you. <laughs> you haven't, he hasn't, Andy, you haven't read the book. Read the book, and you'll see what Walsh said about me. And uh, yeah, I'm not kidding. I know you're only kidding. I can see that. I think that's you that's Knowing Andy as I do, that's tongue in cheek. But uh, anyway, thanks so much, guys. And uh, stay you. safe. And I'd love to have you back, maybe, sort of like in the new year, Barry. Okay. Well, can I just say, wish you all a very Merry Christmas. It's a bit early, but wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I hope to see you all sometime in the future. Okay. And to you as well. And all the adverts are on now for Christmas on the TV. So it's never too early. It's never too early. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Take care now. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Craig, and I'll, I'll see you next week when we're back to the Premier League. Indeed we are. Yeah. The real Thanks world. So much, the real world. Take care, mate, and I'll speak to you then. Cheers, Chris. Bye, everyone. So, yeah, a great thanks for Craig for coming on and um, asking what, what he did. And... A huge thank you to Barry. I can say, I think uh, you do get impressions, and as fans, we very much make decisions on what we read about managers, board members, owners, sat the board, and all this, that, and the other in the past. Um, and players. And it's nice to, you know, get the information from the horse's mouth. That the, the, the guy said there, not what I think a lot of us are expecting at all. Like I say, www.mindmyfootballbusiness.com. Uh, or Amazon, and it is out on the 7th of December. Uh, a great, uh, a great stocking filler and a great, um, a great present for the Leicester fan who has everything. Mm. Well, have a good weekend, everybody. Like I say, won't be here. We, I think we're going to be doing a special possibly Friday, uh, but we'll let you know on that. Otherwise, we'll be back um, next Tuesday in time for uh, the Liverpool game. Um, a top of the table clash there stay safe guys look after yourself thanks so much for watching tonight couldn't do it without you and uh, like i say stay safe good night now Ian Hume here, Xbox in the Box. Watch Chris and Leicester Till I Die TV and follow them on social media for all the up-to-date Leicester City news and information. Cheers. Shut up and sit down.
Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Ultimate delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.